High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, all my tired, sleepy juniors. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the slumber party is at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. And remember, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Of course, today we're chatting one of the most revered horror classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street. For, of course, this October spooky horror season. I haven't thought about any like fun things to do for this Halloween. I don't even know what I'm going to be for this Halloween. But I know I'm having fun talking these scary movies and these fun horror movies or these halloween theme movies even with my good friends who join me every week, twice a week these days on High School Slumber Party. And speaking of those friends and speaking of our Halloween series, we opened it up last Friday? Yeah, I don't even know what day it is. Last Friday with Dan and Autumn Ferrara, two of my good friends, and we talked the Monster Squad. The episode got crazy, but it was a blast. Definitely check it out, Monster Squad. Such a cool movie. By the way, I kind of briefly mentioned it in the last episode. There's a documentary, Wolfman's Got Nards. It's actually by Andre Gower, who's in the movie, obviously. He's the star. And this documentary is supposed to be awesome. I need to check it out. My uh, new buddy, Ryan Sick, recommended it for me. He's a good friend of theirs. He's had them on his show. You want to check that out as well. I've been on that show, too, the Ryan Sick show. It's pretty cool. I think we're going to have him on this month. That's at least the plan. I've wanted to have him on for a while. He's into these kind of interesting horror films, so can't wait to talk to him, that's for sure. That's a little tease. More on that another time. Anyway, Wolfman's Got Nards, though. Consider that an extra credit assignment. I'm going to check it out. I want you to check it out, too. Let me know what you think. And, of course, you could let me know what you think on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. A huge part of your grade. Let me know what you think. And, of course, check out that episode we just did on the Monster Squad at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you do us a little favor and give us a nice little five-star rating? And how about while you're there, you write us a very positive review? Oh, and another thing you can do? Of course, tell a friend about the great, wonderful things that are happening on High School Slumber Party. All the spooky things this month. I don't know. You might be surprised. You might be in for a scare in one of these episodes. I might try to get you. Who knows? Whoa, 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 the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. I do the tricks around here. 
You get the treats, and that's the treat of high school slumber party. Come on. Stay in your seats. Your junior year is going very great, and I'm very happy for all of us. I think we're having a great time, right? But relax a little bit. It's just a Monday. It's not a Friday. What are you running off to? you got the rest of the week ahead of you. You also have a really great episode ahead of you. And we're going to talk, like I said, one of the classics of the genre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger. And, of course, we're talking it with two guys who've been on this show before, two guys who know their horror films a lot better than I do, that's for sure. And, of course, I'm talking about the Mikester, Mike Manzi, the man of many titles on this show, and Dan Cologne. His horror consultant, the both of them are horror consultants to each other, I guess, if you will. I don't know, but it's awesome, and I love when they're on the show, and I want to tell you something right now, and I'm going to remind you later. I'm also on his show. When I say his, I mean Mike Manzi. Third time's a charm. The three of us are on that show, and we talk number three in the program, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Dream Warriors, and that was a fun movie too. That one's already out because it came out on October 3rd, so listen to this and listen to that on cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcasts. But without further ado, let's get to it. Pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother's sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. I'm happy to have you two guys on for this cornerstone horror film today during our horror October month. Uh, this is one of the big ones, so yeah. we'll skip fun stories of what you've been up to lately, and we'll just get into introductions. <laughs> Who's been up to stuff? You're both... What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you both are returning guests, recent returning guests. The people know you, hopefully. Hopefully. They definitely heard they heard enough of me uh, last time, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, they're sick of me, believe it. Like, Kate Hudson, you can have the title after this episode. I might semi-retire. I, no, I'm just kidding. I, I listened no, to like, kidding. I listened to like 45 minutes of Fast Times, and I looked at the time, and I was like, it's only been 45 minutes? God, I can't stop talking. We had a fun time. Don't diss your own performance. No, no, no. Don't dissuade no, people. From... I, uh, I, was, I was telling a friend that, uh, you know, like, the worst thing is to have a guest who doesn't really say much. So... You know, I always try to say as much as possible so it can be cut down or whatever. And then I was like, oh, man, I just I was out of control. Fast times. I like good, long conversation. I enjoy. But it. I was engaged. Was, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot to talk about with that film, too. So no worries. Exactly. If it was a conversation about like if we were like veering off into like what you were eating and stuff like that. <laughs> and we were going on forever. Yeah, no, but like Brian, our Karate Kid 3 episode on third times it's like you know a half hour there's like you know no need to go an hour and a half talk about no. bad boy mike barnes i don't know maybe now with all the new like lore from oh, yeah. cobra kai and stuff but just to wrap a bow on the fast times things 
Slumber is out there. If you haven't listened to it, listen to an episode. I thought it was a great episode. There's a lot to talk about with that film. And, you know, you were a pleasure to have, Dan. And, again, everything was related to the film. And, and we had a good time. And I'm releasing two a week. If High School Slumber Party was a monthly show, maybe I would have cut it down. Who knows? But give the people what they want. Let them edit for you out there. That's what yeah, I Yeah, for sure. No, I had I had, I had a blast. And, and you're right. It was all on topic. But, you know, I, I can only take so much of myself. I live with myself every day. i get it i get it (laughs) well today not fast times but certainly another classic in the horror genre and the high school film genre and we're talking about a nightmare in elm street i always just want to say nightmare in elm street but i realize it's a nightmare (laughs) in elm street i used to call it the nightmare in elm street so even i was uh getting it wrong for a couple years (laughs) and who are you by the way because i forgot that you didn't introduce yourself (laughs) that's right so i'm uh, returning champion Mike Manzi, <laughs> RHS, class of 97, go Maroons! Glad to say uh, I haven't had a nightmare in a while, so uh, I'm here <laughs> and ready to do this. Yeah, and uh, I'm Dan Cologne, returning Timber Creek Regional High School, class of 2005, go Chargers! And today, like I said, we're doing A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'll ask you guys, uh, probably asked you both this question a little bit before, but... What's your history with horror films for our listeners out there listening for the first time? And then what's your history with A Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a huge horror fan. Um, you know, I'm getting, I feel like in my old, as, as I'm getting older, in my old age, like I'm gravitating way more into that and digging into the past of horror and uh, just really devouring a lot of stuff, uh, especially this time of the year. But this Nightmare on Elm Street series has sort of always been around, like I have older brothers and they were always allowed to kind of like sneak and watch these types of movies and I always wanted to but never could. So I was always like aware that there were sort of these films, these horror movies out there, uh, Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers and stuff. Like I was aware of these things, but I didn't get to see them. And then um, my major Freddie memory is there was this party store called the Great American Party Store in a town near where I lived, and we would go there, and it was incredible, and in the back, there's all the Halloween stuff and all the masks, and I'm pretty sure it was year-round, and they were playing A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 on, like, a television. They had all the Freddy stuff and everything, and I think even for fourth grade, I dressed up as Freddy at school wow. uh, back back before there was any sort of like regulation about what you could he wear. He kills children, Mike. <laughs> well, you can't be a child being him. What could I say? I, I don't know what kind of message I was sending, but that was the first movie I actually saw was two. I think I, after that part three, it wasn't uh, for a couple of years later till I got like into high school uh, that I was able to go back and watch um, I think all of them up until that point. I, I saw the the 3D one in theaters. Like I'm telling you, my childhood, like they didn't give a shit. My parents, like what the hell I watched. Like it was <laughs> awesome at times. So I'm pretty aware of what's going on in the Elm Street series. I love most of them. I think they all are pretty successful in attempting to do what they do. And you know, New Line Cinema, the house that Freddie built, like he's definitely become iconic and taken his place in the pantheon, you know, of the horror monsters. So very excited to be here. So that party store, where was that store, by the way, Mike? Sorry. Oh, I think it, I think you might know it. It was was it Bergenfield, maybe, or on the way, maybe Westwood. I forgot because I rem- like you just brought me back to childhood. I remember going there, and I remember going to the back. Because it was, like, always Halloween in the back, Yeah, you know? yeah. For Halloween, they would, like, increase the store's Halloween content. But 
all year round you could find and they had like cardboard stand-ups of freddy yeah and, and it was kind of back. off like a back road a little bit yeah it was like it was legit like a warehouse yeah 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 like uh, there was the town with like the friendlies and everything but then you go down like this i think it was westwood though. okay i think it was westwood yeah so that's so funny that you know that same store and everything but that was a very influential store on my young mind for sure that's honestly like i can't believe you sparked this memory but that's honestly the first time i really became aware of freddie and jason it was just my mom telling me i was like who are those people and she'd be like oh that's this person that's that person but i didn't grow up watching horror films at all so we'll get to that in a second though dan cologne you're clearly a horror fan you have a lot of horror paraphernalia so what's your history with horror films and for this film in particular well uh i wish i had as uh, romantic a story as mike did but i think I've, <laughs> i i may have mentioned on the this podcast in the past i didn't really come into uh, horror fandom until college uh once i got into college and, and really started studying um studying filmmaking that's when i kind of started experimenting with genre like i always knew i loved movies but like horror wasn't really my thing through high school but I, I learned in college that you know so much of horror involved a lot of like in, ingenuity and and really incredible creativity and so like that's when I really dove into horror as a genre once I once I figured that out you know so I I, I uh, got Friday the 13th and Halloween and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I don't remember getting a copy of A Nightmare on Elm Street I don't remember the first time I saw this movie but you know it's hard to not know who Freddy Krueger is. These characters are so ingrained in popular culture that even if you've never seen the movie, you know who Freddy Krueger is. So for most of my life, I've been aware of who he is and kind of his shtick. But yeah, I can't. I don't. I can't pinpoint the uh, the first time I ever saw this movie. But um, I can tell you that a couple years ago, I spent a weekend watching. Like I got the box set of of all of them, and I sat and I watched all nine of them i think there are uh in a weekend wow wow and so most of them were new to me in that watch and that was pretty awesome to get to see them all like back to back to back all in context like that yeah. that's amazing yeah it's funny like how you know just just sort of going off of how many like there are this sort of became one of the more consistent series i feel in you know even as far as like uh, continuity is concerned, it's kind of funny. But I remember, man, like walking through those VHS stores the, as a kid, and these covers just popped. The Friday the Thirteenth cover with like the mask and the giant machete in it. You're like, what is that? And then like all of these Nightmare on Elm Streets were so just like bizarre and surreal and dream, you know, dreamlike and stuff. And so I think what we'll find with these movies too is like with horror, also like Dan was kind of saying, like. There's a real film history behind the ability to explore the form of film and the possibilities of what you can do with it, with horror in particular, I feel. And also, you know, science fiction, but anything on that, like, sort of fantastic level really opens up the uh, the medium, you know? So, like, this movie in general, like, really takes advantage of that. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, you're onto something, Mike, with the, with the covers and, like, the poster for these movies in particular the artwork is so unlike the artwork for the other like kind of major slasher franchises. Like it's almost like you, you can tell right away just before you even see the movie that this art is going to tell you it's, this movie's something different. It's unlike anything you've seen before, which I think is kind of interesting. I, I'm not sure who the artist is. I'm trying to find it, but um, yeah, I think, I think the art's 
uh, terrific. It's sort of one of the times where like the cover matches the content where it's like these sort of wonderful, just out of control, yeah, surrealist uh, looking things. And then that's sort of the same with the movie, you know, these movies sort of also like remind me way back what they were doing, uh, you know, at the beginning of cinema with Dr. Caligari, you right. know, like they wanted to tell horror stories because they wanted to see how far they could push the medium and uh, and we're right back there, like that's right back where we are right now in the modern age, and it's awesome. So my history with this film, I mean, my history with horror is well documented on this podcast. I have no history with horror except for this <laughs> podcast, um, and Mike, you've helped me a lot with, uh, I guess, giving me a horror baptism, not just on this podcast, but on your podcast, Third Time's a Charm. Yeah. And honestly, my history with this film is the same. I have zero history with this film. Watching it, I realized... I'd never really seen this film or any of the Nightmare in Elm Street films. So this is all new to me, which was surprising because I thought I had. But you're going to laugh. Yesterday in the group chat, I think it was one of you sent the Nightmare on My Street from Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, famous, famous song on, what is it? I'm the DJ, he's the rapper? Uh, is that the name of it? Or is he the DJ? He's I'm the, the DJ, rapper? I'm the rapper? Yeah, the DJ <laughs> Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. My knowledge of the film 100% came from that. <laughs> I realize that now. Literally, I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, that's that's the Will Smith song playing in the background. Like, <laughs> I mean, that music video is like a short installment of A Nightmare on Home Street. Like, he's he's on point with that song, you gotta say, right? <laughs> yeah, He and then watching it, I'm like, you know what? Wow. This is like a faithful, like, you know, little summary of of the film and what's going on. So, yeah, I was super excited to see this, though, because so far my history with, at least on, for this podcast, talking about Halloween, I, it was so awesome to really see and digest. So this is another classic one of like that kind of, I don't know, just the slasher people thing. Right? Yeah, well, it's sort of like the, you know, I think of it almost like comics where there was like this golden age that, you know, I'm sure Dan and I will get into soon enough <laughs> on this network, but there's like the golden age, right? Like the universal guys, but also like Jekyll and Hyde, you throw them in there. And then there's sort of like your silver or atomic age monsters that kind of kicks off with like Godzilla and then all the weird mutants and things like that. And then here we sort of have like the bronze age or like I don't know, the next age, right? Where we have these guys and Pinhead and Pumpkinhead, maybe. I don't know if he's really of caliber, but you get my drift, right? Like Freddie Jason, Michael Myers, like they're the, the new guard at this time. So it's like, you know, they're the ones in, in the spotlight. Yeah, I really, you know, I was so excited because of that, because Freddy Krueger is such a huge part of pop culture. Like you see a striped sweater with those colors and you think Freddy Krueger, even if you haven't seen any of the films. So like this was something I was really waiting to do. And, you know, it, it was exciting to watch. And also, um, we've talked about this director here before on High School Slumber Party, and we'll mention him in a second. But I don't want to forget, back of the DVD time, and I did, I did find a picture. So here's the summary if you have no idea what this movie's about. <laughs> From Modern Horror Master... Wes Craven, comes a timeless shocker that remains the standard bearer for terror. Nancy is having grisly nightmares. Something monstrous wants to kill her. Meanwhile, her high school friends, yes, who are having the very same dream, are being slaughtered in their sleep by the hideous fiend of their shared nightmare. When the police ignore her explanation, she must confront the killer in his shadowy realm. Pretty simple, pretty straight to the point, but that's, I like it. That's it? Yeah. Well, the rest Whoa. is like the rest is like talking about the actors, and I usually don't read that part. Oh, right, right. Like, there's one guy in particular. I'm sure that there's a 
a big mention on the back of the box. Yes, but... <laughs> yes, there is. Yes, yes. That's but very first... sparse for. Uh... But I guess at that point, you know, everyone's sort of like you said, like he's in the public conscious. Like you don't really need to explain much about this movie, except that like teenagers are dying in their sleep and there's a boogeyman. Yeah, and I'm not completely blind to the film. Like just through cultural osmosis. I knew what, exactly what it was about, and I remember even knowing what the plot was as a kid. It's a pretty simple and scary plot to understand. Like We've all been haunted yeah. by nightmares, especially as a child, but in these nightmares, you can actually die. Like It's as simple as that. Well, that's always been such a great urban legend, too, or, or at least growing up, you hear like, oh, you die in your sleep, and you die for real, right? And then that's even taken into... You know, this movie, Inception, like, that's a big dream theory kind of thing still to this day. You know, it's not necessarily true or anything, but it it is a weird phenomenon that people die of fright in their sleep or just, you know, like, there's unexplained reasons, you know? It's like, oh, they seem to have been dreaming, and then they just never woke up. Like, they were totally fine, uh, and now they're scared to death. So, I don't know if this was, like playing off of any kind of like if Wes Craven is into like kind of that type of psycho psychological like theory or anything or where he's getting it from but it's weird shit and this always freaked me out like the idea of it because for for the exact things you're saying Mike like I'm not someone who's really afraid of ghosts or the paranormal not really my thing am I afraid of like serial killers and murderers Sure, but it's not something I think about regularly, you know? I don't, like, yes, I would be afraid if someone was coming at me with a knife, but it's not something that keeps me up at night. But the idea that you could die from a dream in your sleep, you can't avoid that, you know? So I I love what Wes Craven did here. And, of course, Wes Craven, we mentioned him on the back of the DVD. You just mentioned him, Mike. One of the uh, masters of the genre, if you will. We talked about him here for Scream. Scream is... Probably Arguably. his magnum opus, right? <laughs> and the most pivotal film, arguably, in the history of this podcast. And I only say that because, you know, numerous Hollywood people have credited Scream with the revival of teen films in the late 90s that extended, like, arguably even today. Because basically, you know, in the years before that, they really thought they were unmarketable. And once Scream did well... They greenlit all these projects from American Pie, and you know the list goes on. Also, he's the director of two of your favorite films, Mike, Vampire in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Deadly Friend, but no, I've never actually seen Vampire in Brooklyn, so I can't talk trash about it right now, but I'll just say that it doesn't look like, I don't know, it looks interesting, I'll just say that. <laughs> And, and of course, another high school film we'll cover here, Music of My Heart. Actually, never heard of that, but I think that's a testament to, you know, playing to his strengths, right? Like, you only hear about the horror stuff, right? Because that's <laughs> the only p- thing people really give a shit about. Like, no one wants Wes Craven to go make, like, a love story without any <laughs> killing in it or anything. <laughs> Who knows? You know, but I'm just joking. Wes Craven is awesome, and it really shows, like, his power for me in this film. I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, you get guys who do a series or like a related thing, but he has like two arguably hall of fame entries now in high school slumber parties. He almost reminds me of James Cameron to a degree where he's got like these pivotal moments in film history, you know, like Freddie and scream are kind of like 
Terminator and the Abyss in a lot of ways, you know, in, in terms of like changing the game or, you know, things like that. And then so I think that's enough, you know, like maybe he should have just like stopped with those series to a degree. I don't know. I've not, I've not seen his entire oeuvre yet, but uh, it, yeah, like it's definitely people, you know, I hear people say, oh, he's a master of horror, like prove it. And it's like, well, you just need to watch like two of his, two or three of his movies, you know, to qualify. That, that's kind of how I feel about it. Right. Like you could say quantity or quality for like measurements of things, but he at least has two films that changed the game. So, I mean, you got to give him credit for that. Totes. Totally. <laughs> Totes. I realized I said that. And so I, <laughs> I had to say the whole, I had to go back. You could leave all that in if you want. <laughs> I mean, so apparently this a lot of this was based on his childhood, he says. I mean, I just got this from the Wikipedia article, so feel free to butt in if you think it's wrong or something. But apparently he read a lot of stories of uh, immigrants coming from Asia who were haunted by the nightmares of things that happened over there. And they w- were found dead in their sleep. And that really inspired him, um, which is crazy to think about. I kind of want to look into that a little bit more. But just the whole idea of... Freddy and stuff. It's just well, it, I don't know. It, dude, it's the, it's the boogeyman, right? Like we've all everybody's afraid yes. of the boogeyman. Like I don't care who you are, I don't care where you come from, and I don't care what year it is. Like cavemen, you know what I'm saying? Had bad dreams, you know? It's like the subconscious mind, right? Like coming to attack you, and you're asleep, so it's like the most vulnerable state imaginable. Like you really can't do anything about it. And I think he just really saw something and and was like this is the time or like, this is really on my mind. Like he got it out and it was just like kismet or something. And and as far as someone like Freddy Krueger as like a being, I mean, it's almost like Lovecraftian, this whole concept of like, you're so scared. You can't even comprehend what it is. So like you die, right? <laughs> like that's it. Like there's really like a lot more to dig into if you want to, than just what's on the surface of like the, a generic slasher film. Do you guys know, like, uh, cause again, I'm not, too familiar with horror films like i know this isn't his first film like what did he do before this um he oh so like last house on the left right Dan, yeah like that so, so the last house on the left was his uh first movie which i believe he made with sean cunningham who uh went on to make friday the 13th oh wow yeah look at that so it was dir- yeah last house on the left was directed by wes produced by sean s cunningham you know and then uh wes went on to make the hills have eyes in 77 um Wow, he made okay. uh, Swamp Thing in 82 and um, Hills Have Eyes Part 2 in 84 and then Nightmare on Elm Street. Swamp Thing is like a super early comic book movie yeah. too. So and, and you know what? That's it, pretty it, noteworthy. It, it gets dumped on a lot. But I kind of like it. Yeah, I feel like more people might be remembering the Swamp Thing Returns movie that he had nothing to do with. But I find that original one to be uh, very interesting. Very cool. But the Swamp Thing character is such a weird character to begin with. So For sure. Wow, so, so he's pretty uh, established at this point on Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, both he, he, classics He, he the was, and they're, and they're classics now. But I feel like in, in 84, when Nightmare came out, those movies were like like drive-in movies. They, they weren't gotcha, big, okay. major releases yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street was huge. And like Mike said, um, you know, they call New Line Cinema the, the house that Freddie built. Like New Line Cinema at the time was a film distributor. And, you know, they rolled the dice uh, on West to make Nightmare. And they were they were going bankrupt. And Nightmare pretty much single-handedly uh, rescued them from, from bankruptcy. So um, 
Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is really like the first big, big movie Wes Craven made. That kind of made his career. I feel like also there was like this big sort. I mean, I wasn't there at the time, but like from what I understand, like Last House on the Left was not easy to watch. Like not not only to watch, but I mean like not easy to find. Like you know, it was it's a very disturbing movie. It's a one and done for me to be honest. I've never watched it again, and so I feel like there was like a lot riding on like this guy's just like crazy whatever like he made this weird ass movie that's like on a blacklist or something and like even hills have eyes is about mutants that want to eat your baby and stuff so like there's a lot of cachet just on his name alone i feel and so it's amazing that he was just like able to deliver on that too you know just i couldn't imagine the pressure just to be like here's your coming out party and like everybody just gets scared to death that it's awesome right like he just I don't know, it just feels like he really stuck the landing of what everyone was expecting him to do. That's great. I mean, it's awesome like to hear him. Again, for me, everything's retroactive for me. I have no perspective on like the history of this kind of stuff. And it's also fascinating about New Line Cinema. Like for me, New Line Cinema came on my radar for like Lord of the Rings and stuff. And that's yeah, like isn't that insane? <laughs> It's, yeah, it's so ambitious and huge. and the, the But they've fact always that, been like, on, like, the brink of bankruptcy. I feel like Lord of the Rings <laughs> brought them back. Into, like, they didn't they produce Ninja Turtles, too? And, like, that saved them for the 90s. And then Lord like, it's amazing. That a documentary about New Line would be epic. Yeah, actually, that would be really cool. If anyone out there has the power to make documentaries, I'd like to see this one. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the cast quick. So let's see. Who do we want to talk about? Oh, of course, Nancy. Heather. How did you say Heather Landing? Heather Loggenkamp. Loggenkamp. Okay, gotcha. Heather. It's Loggenkamp. I think so. I mean, that's my own guess. <laughs> She's only really known for these movies, Logan right, Dan? Like, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I don't know her from from much else. It says here uh, she had auditioned for Night of the Comet, Last Starfighter. Oh, so I know <laughs> she lost out too, because the same actress played it was in both of those movies. Yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't Heather Langenkamp, but. <laughs> yeah, it, it so, looks like she really just did these. I mean, she did a bunch of things over the course of her career, um, but uh, it's a lot of TV. But yeah, no, her career didn't really um, blow up after this movie, which is surprising. I would have thought it would. Yeah, because she's great in this. I was gonna ask, like, where have I seen her before? Because I. I guess it was just like be, being known for this, but she plays Nancy, of course. So, her dad, played by John Saxon. Yes. I was like, where have <laughs> I seen this guy? He has such a familiar face. And it's in, a, what's it called? That Bruce Lee film. Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon, but, yeah. But also, like, everywhere else. Like, this guy became, like, a pretty big character actor, I feel like, in the 80s and 90s. For sure, but I was picturing, like, a face he was, because he's got these distinct eyebrows. Yep. And... <laughs> see, see, I knew, I, I've seen Enter the Dragon, but I knew him initially from Black Christmas. And uh, oh, he's, he's, the, okay. he's the cop in Black Christmas also. Yeah, so he's he's awesome. He's just one of those great character actors from the '70s who could like always play tough guys, um, but not like mean tough guys. Like you could always try, you could always yeah, try yeah. vulnerable tough yeah, guys, yeah. right? Like I believe him as a dad too, right. right? Like almost first and foremost, and then the cop. But yeah, Mike, do you know another movie he was in that we've talked about? Oh, lay it on me. <laughs> Godfather Part 3? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Somewhere in I there. Wish. Maybe he's in the extended think, cut that we're going to watch one day. Think of the opposite of how we feel about Godfather Part 3. Oh, come on, Brian. Just just, just hit me with it. It's late. We got two of these to do in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, 
He's in Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, uh, yeah, he is in Beverly Hills. He's the replacement to the um, mustache guy. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, but how could you wait. expect me not to... <laughs> like, that is what... wiped from my mind, Eternal Spotless <laughs> of the Sunshine Way. Like, I have no idea what happened in Beverly Hills Cop 3. Well, he might be a third times a charm Hall of Famer, but more, more on that <laughs> later in the night. <laughs> um, of course, Robert England as Freddy Krueger, and he plays Freddy Krueger like every time almost. There right? has only been one other Freddy and that it was in the reboot and that was um, Jackie Earl Haley. So yeah, Robert England is almost exclusively Freddy Krueger. Which is That's awesome. Amazing. Like he's so great in the role. Like he just personifies it. And that new one's, I like it, but it's extremely different Freddie feels like an afterthought almost <laughs> in that newer one, but I'm sure you'll get to one day, Brian. Like most of these movies are high school films, so <laughs> maybe 10, 20 years from now. <laughs> one a year. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, I think you were alluding to this before. Uh, Johnny Depp is in this film, which I really didn't know. Apparently, like it's his first role, yep. plays Glenn, and it's a big role too. When I saw his name, I was like, oh, I expected it to be like a little cameo, maybe someone who gets killed like early on. But he's got a huge role in this. Yeah, and I really like him in this. From what I understand, he was cast because uh, I think it was Wes Craven's daughter found him dreamy. And that's how he got the role. <laughs> wow. Or so somebody's daughter found him dreamy. But yeah, I think he's, I mean, it's not that demanding of a role, but I mean, he, we get shades of, of the, the actor he become in, in later years and he gets maybe my favorite death scene in the whole movie. Oh um, yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. But yeah, I, I love Johnny Depp in this. I think around this time he was maybe in some like spring break boner pick you know like one of those just like hey we're on vacation <laughs> but we're on like a yacht and like let's get laid i think he did one of those around this time too so like he was kind of working but i yeah like he's he stands out like he's one of the people in this where he's like all right this guy is like gonna probably go on and like do more uh no offense to anyone i actually feel like the girl who plays tina is kind of my favorite uh in the movie to be Amanda honest Wiss. yeah so uh but but it's kind of funny it's just there's a, like a weird phenomenon and maybe it's just because of how sort of low budget and horror films are and need to take a chance or want to take a chance and things like that but like a lot of stars get their start like in horror films like when we get to part three, like we're, we are going to do like a crossover episode with my show. So when we get there, like there's another up and coming star who, you know, is working to this day and has become like a big, you know, presence and how even married Nick Cage at one point, like it's amazing. So but what I think is interesting, Mike, is, is that there's really no rhyme or reason to the actors who make it big in these movies. You know, like we talk about Nancy, you know, uh, uh, Heather Langenkamp, you know, she she's the star of this movie and she she carries most of it. And yet her career didn't blossom the way Johnny Depp's did. Uh, I think the only final girl that I can think of up, off the top of my head who really made it big was Jamie Lee Curtis. And like, I think that's interesting that, you know, these final girl actors, that more of them didn't become bigger stars over time um, because they become so popular to fans of these movies. You know, like, what is this yeah. movie without Nancy? It's true. I think they almost, you know, the movies become too big in a way where it's like Robert England would have been great as other villains or even in like Shakespeare. Like I picture this guy doing a lot of other stuff that he never got to really do, you know, and like that that's is true. the other sort of flip flip side. It's like, that's a little too bad. But hey, you know, what they didn't get in future roles, they were probably able to make the money in like convention appearances and stuff. 
right? Because like, oh if, yeah, if you <laughs> if you're in one of these series, like your autograph like goes well, yeah, a lot of money. Like if you're an extra in Star Trek on one episode, like you're good. You could go to a convention as long as you <laughs> print up pictures and want to sit there, you know, and you know. And uh, you guys mentioned her before, but Amanda Weiss. I just want to bring her up. This completes our. Amanda Weiss High School Slumber Party trilogy today. <laughs> this because is two port- in a row for you and I, Brian. Yeah, two in a row for us. And Mike, you were on my first episode of Better Off Dead. So That's between right. the three of us, we've covered her high school film trilogy. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else in the cast that you think uh, we should note or mention before we just talk about these awesome scenes? Well, there's not really that many other people. There's like Rod, you know, like the bad boy um, <laughs> who gets framed for Tina's murder. And uh, there's the the mothers, or right? just the other parents that we see. They're they're all sort of very interchangeable. Uh, I mean, I don't. I think that's kind of the point too. Is like the parents aren't really on the same page as these kids for a lot, or they know what's going on, but like they are in denial and all this stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a very tight-knit cast for sure yeah in terms of how this film begins and the whole lore behind it i do have some questions that maybe you can help me answer who knows but uh we kind of open up with this awesome scene and it looks like like the glove like iconic freddy Krueger glove is being forged i thought that was such an awesome way to open up this movie yeah i i made a note about that like to me you know in my in my watching it critically for in preparation for this that that sequence almost um it almost felt like something you might see in a sequel or or like a prequel because you know we haven't been introduced to Freddy Krueger yet. I mean, I that's a really good point. I could see that sequence happening like in a prequel movie, like oh here he is making his glove, you know. So I thought it was interesting to put that right up front, um, which in all honesty was was kind of off putting. You know, I tried to mm. watch this with a fresh lens, like I had never seen it. And and I thought, yeah, like, who the hell is this guy? You know, with most of these other movies, they kind of keep the villain um, hidden for a little while and then reveal him later. And this, he's right up front. And I thought that was a bold choice. It is interesting, but, like, I don't think anyone will ever be able to see this movie again with just, like, fresh eyes. So it was cool for me knowing the character and not knowing the story. But you're right, like for a first time watcher that is a good point i totally forgot it started with that and watching it i'm saying to myself this feels like a reshoot like this feels like okay let's (laughs) let's put like the movie's done we've shown it to our distributors they want to put it out but we we just gotta we need footage of him making that glove it's so fucking cool like that's kind of how i don't know if that's the the truth that's how it feels i'm actually kind of glad it's there I don't know. I, I feel you, though, Dan. Like, it is kind of off-putting because there's no mystery. It's like, okay, now I'm going to look for the guy with the glove. Like, it could that, you know, it can't be really anything else. Uh, Chekhov's glove. But I don't right. know. I there's mean, just what, something what, what, what? so sort of, like, brash about it being like, here it fucking is. Look, like, most of the time you wait till part four to get this, but we're showing it to you right up front. Right. But what that scene doesn't do, which I kind of kind of appreciate, is that it doesn't it doesn't reveal anything about the twist on this story, which is that he attacks people in their dreams, yeah. right? We know we, we, I think people coming to see this movie would, would know that it's about like a slasher killer type character. Okay. Here's his weapon. You know, he's got the glove, but then as soon as that's over, we get thrown into um, Tina's dream, which we have to figure out is a dream, you know, like, and then, and then once the movie sets this, you know, the, the, the stage and, and ex- kind of explain establishes like the rules 
then we can then we're off and running. Then we can introduce Nancy and everybody else. So I, I love that they, they they established all of that in the span of what ten minutes, not even. Uh, yeah, they really established Tina as the main character too, which got which gets me every time. It, like I was it's just amazing. Say that I was just gonna say that I would again as someone who's never seen this movie, I just assumed Tina was the main character, and the way they pull like the way they pull that switcheroo to me, I thought it was so awesome because. She, we know the tropes, right? Like the virgin doesn't get killed usually and stuff like that. I was so shocked when she ends up having sex with Rod that I was like, wait, what? This is the way they're going with this? I'm like, oh, this is not going to be her, her story. And then boom. So I loved the, uh, how they treated this. Yeah, I mean, and it, they do a lot of sort of playing with your expectations, I feel, because they get right to the chase. They waste no time in this movie. Like, I wrote down some time codes and stuff, and like, I can't find them right now. Great, convenient. But, <laughs> like, you know, when they're having their high school slumber party early on in the movie, because everyone's having the same shared experience dream kind of thing, like, you know, Nancy's sleeping in bed, and we get one of the first iconic images of Freddy trying to, like, haunt her nightmares by, like, pushing through the wall above her where she's sleeping, you know? And it's just like, holy shit, like, right out of the gate... Like, this is kind of fully formed. I'd say everything but Freddy becoming a wise-ass down the line is all here. Um, as far as, like, this is a movie about atmosphere, imagery, all that stuff first and foremost. And, yeah, there's a kind, there's a really neat, tight backstory with the parents and all that kind of shit, too. But, like, it's almost doesn't matter. The fact that it's there is awesome because it really ties a bow on everything. But this is more of a movie about, like, the moving image, you know, and what's possible with that, and, and the kick-ass fucking score that we have yet to mention, but yeah. but all of that. And 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 uh, before we like, I want to get move move on from this this intro, but before we spend too much time on it, but just to give some context, why I think that um by 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 like kind of getting all of this introductory stuff done right up the top, uh, why I think that's so great is that you know this was 19, this came out in 1984 when Friday the Thirteenth came out in 1980. And Halloween had come out a couple years before, you know, like after Friday the 13th, like there were nothing but slashers coming out. It was slasher film, slasher film, slasher film, slasher film. Most of them never really amounted to anything. But if you do the research, you can see there were a lot of slasher films that were released in 1981, 1982. So this had been well-worn territory by the time this had come out. So Wes knew he had to do something different to stand out. And I think that this opening sequence, this, what, 10, 15 minutes really is is unlike anything that came before it which is so brilliant there's a weird like adrenaline rush behind all of this leading up to tina's death because of how well i feel like he's establishing the world or the dream world at least like the logic right like the visual dream logic of it where like okay you could tell now like between two sequences you know what it means when you're dreaming or when you're awake um and all of that is just like so fucking tight and tina's death is incredibly horrific like i had forgotten it impacted me so hard this time like i was like <laughs> almost crying i was like i can't believe like what i'm seeing it's horrific <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's so awesome. And just the way she the, she's depicted later in the film, continuously coming back like in that body bag and stuff, it's but really freaky. But she's doing like the whole, you know, dancing on the ceiling inception roll around the room, <laughs> right? And like the guy Rod is like seeing all this and like his mind is fracturing. Like he can't believe what he's seeing either. And there's just blood everywhere. And I was just shocked that this got past the censors back in the day. Like, I wonder what they were able to convince them with by saying, I mean, maybe at the end he's like, well, the whole movie's Nancy's dream. So none of it actually happened. And the censors were stupid enough to be like, that works. Okay. Art. <laughs> yeah, and that's such a brilliantly executed uh, sequence. You know, like I watched that and I thought there are scenes I've seen like in movies that I've seen in the past couple of years that don't hold up as well as this. And that's just one of them, right? Like Dan, you mentioned later, there's an even better one like coming up later. Like every scene, even today, this came out in 84, it's 2020. This is like uh, over 35 years old at this point. Um, You know, this, this movie still feels fresh and new. Uh, you know, even 35, 36 years later. It's incredible. It really does hold up, yeah. I mean, the effects are great, the the, the the practical and, like, the sort of film effects that they do. Like, there's one shot in particular, I mentioned James Cameron earlier, but Freddy beats the T-1000 to walking between prison bars in this movie, and it looks... Oh, yes, he does. It's just as effective as, like, CGI, right? He just phases through them, and I'm like, it's the concept, right? Like, the execution yep. is there, but it's like, you know... As good as it, but it's just the concept is so cool. Um, anything else you want to mention before this really becomes Nancy's story? Uh, no, I don't. I think I'm good. I mean, it's pretty interesting how smooth they're able to make that transition, just because like you know Tina's boyfriend is now wanted for murder, and Nancy's dad is the cop, right? So like that's a nice smooth sort of character thing where it's like oh, uh, like she's being sort of like tailed, and you know only you know this guy was a friend of hers so like yeah i just like how tight like the whole sort of uh thing is there with her dad being the cop yeah i think think that has mostly to do with them establishing you know this small group of friends you know that we spent a lot of time with the group of them before tina's killed so it's not it's not a a wonky transition to to nancy as the protagonist i don't think yeah it's not like uh mike when we talked uh when a stranger calls how it was uh carol (laughs) keen Yes. And then, like, the guy shows up at the door, and then it's, like, two-thirds his movie, and then it goes back to her a little bit. It wasn't anything <laughs> like that, but... Because you're, you're absolutely right, Dan. They're, like, planting the seeds for it, because I'm watching, not knowing who's going to be the main character. And I'm like, I'm, oh, I kind of really like this Nancy girl, you know? I'm following along. So when the torch is passed to her, I'm all in. Um, and then as it becomes her story, like, it's so interesting. You know, you mentioned that uh, the cop is her dad, and we start to meet the mom. We get we get the whole mystery, right? It becomes like a mystery film, which is really cool. Like, who is Freddy Krueger? Like, what? Like, there's an actual real-world explanation for this? Like, that's going to be bonkers. Like, that blew my mind the first time I watched this. Like, I mean, I was aware that he had, like, history and stuff, but just the way that it was, like, left to like basically the end as a mystery like i was not really expecting that yeah and i think that 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 final act like the reveal about how the the parents are involved in all of this is a smart move because otherwise this might start to feel a little too conveniently insulated you know like we see a lot of the same characters all inhabiting a lot of these Mm. same spaces you know it doesn't necessarily feel like a full town you know what i mean like we well, yeah, it's just it's just this block, right? It's pretty much right. like it's Elm very, Street, yeah. 
it's a very intimate cast of characters. And because the parents have a role to play in this story, it's like, oh, okay, that's why we're just spending all this time in the Thompson house and, you know, in Tina's house and so on and so forth. And I feel for Nancy, too, because, like, she has to sort of go through an hour of, like, getting gaslighted, right? Like, she's telling right. everybody, like, what's happening. But, like, would you even – how could you believe her if you're an adult? Like, it's one of those things that only up until – be like, from a child to, like, an, a teenager until you, like, go through puberty. It's like you believe – maybe you believe in Santa Claus. You believe in the boogeyman and stuff. But, like, how can you – convince somebody without sounding crazy right like it's it's amazing yeah yeah it's so good and i just love the um just her just not wanting to or you know sleep depriving herself it's fascinating to me because like that was something i was curious about like what would i do in that situation i think we all kind of put ourselves in in that kind of uh mind frame when we're watching these kind of films and i was like you know what i'm just not fucking going to sleep you know and (laughs) Just how it weighs on her, it's it's just so good to me. And like you said, like how her parents aren't believing her, no one's believing her. The murders that are, or at least the killings, you know, some of them aren't maybe not defined as murders to people, but the killings that are surrounding her is kind of a coding to the parents and the adults, like why she might be behaving the way she is. Like, because she endured a lot of trauma. So it makes sense, like to the outside world, why she would be, acting like this but then just again anytime she falls asleep and as an editor of a twice weekly podcast i've often felt fell asleep in random places and not random places my couch and my desk but you know what i mean so you, you get that feeling where you're just like oh my god i didn't realize i fell asleep you know you woke up on a boat somewhere in the middle of the ocean you know the feeling you know i try to edit in the most unique places possible so no <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's so just relatable because, like, we've all tried to stay awake for some reason or another, whether you're studying or you just want to watch something on TV really late at night, you know, or whatever, and you can't. Like, there's just something, like, that's what's even scarier is, like, you're not even in control, you know? Like, you have no control of what's going on. Exactly. Like, I've never, you know, knock on wood, have had to flee, like, a murderer, you know? I've never had to do something like that. I've never, again, knock on wood, have like been in a haunted house and been afraid of a ghost, you know. But I have had to stay awake, you know. So you, I, you can feel the physicalness of Nancy's character. But then when she starts falling asleep, like specifically the one scene I wrote down was like the bathtub uh, scene where Freddy has his like hand coming out from the uh, tub and yeah. stuff. Yep. That was like, oh my God, intense. One, two, Freddy's coming. Yeah, it's, you know, you look at previous movies like Friday the 13th. All right, don't go to a summer camp and you will be fine, right? <laughs> there, there's there's no not going to sleep. And I think that's another uh, touch of brilliance with this this particular film. 
Yeah, I mean, like Jaws, what? Like, you just don't go in the water. You're cool, right? right? Like, you know, uh, Tremors, just, you know, step easy and don't go in that part of the desert or whatever. I don't know, but you're right. <laughs> like, you can't get rid of this guy. Like, he's in your mind. And, you know, what are you going to do? Like, take out your brain? Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. But he's so fucking smart, Freddy. Like, you feel like he's got a motive once you... I mean, especially upon re-watching this, it's like he knows what he's doing. He's targeting Nancy because it was her fucking parents' idea. That's the way it comes across to me. It's like her dad was the sheriff in town so he could cover it up you know um like her mom's this big alcoholic like she's always drinking so you know that like it was part of her she was part of the mob like it's her idea and i mean so they have the fucking glove in their basement like what the hell in part three her dad knows where his remains are buried like it is insane so like i feel like freddie is like all right first i'm gonna like kill her best friend and and you know, her other friend is going to get blamed. Then I'm going to make it look like a suicide and she's going to watch and I'm going to do this. Right. And then I'm going to kill her boyfriend. It's, it's like, he's doing it by the book. It's great. I guess the one only question I would have is like, why did he wait this long? Like, it seems like it's been years since everything happened. Right. But it doesn't really matter. Um, The lore, I think in this movie is so good. And it's really, uh, Mike, I think you mentioned the score and all, not just the score, but the way they set up with things with like the nursery rhyme, like one, oh, one, so two, creepy. Freddy's coming to coming for you, uh, all that, right? Like they're doing such a good job of like establishing. We might not know everything at certain points of the movie, but they're doing such a good job of establishing lore and establishing like that. This is something. This isn't just a random victim of a killer. This is like, you know, there is a method to the madness here. We might not know it yet. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the only thing here is the idea of like, you know, right, how did he get the power to be a magical dream monster, right? I mean, they try they try and I don't know how well they do way down the line in the 3D one. Uh, I think that's part six or seven. I think that's seven. And you just don't want that. Like, I just don't want any of that either. You know, like they went and tried to explain Michael Myers for like three movies, I think, right? Like <laughs> that didn't really work for me either. I know some people kind of like it, but again, just like, yeah, like it's the lack of information that's also working, you know. I, like I said earlier, I think this is, you know, a very visually astute film and more more like con- concerned with all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think like in normal circumstances, uh, explaining too much about the, the the villain of these movies is a big turnoff for me. I know, um, you know, I really don't love learning more about Michael Myers. Uh, one of the big reasons why I didn't love Rob Zombie's uh, remake of Halloween was just how much it got into why Michael Myers is the way he is. Um, And I think these movies kind of tread a little close to that territory, but I think that the key is that they never really explain how he can do what he can do. You know, I think it's fine to learn who Freddy Krueger was when he was alive, that he was a murderer of children and so on and so forth. But I think that's the, the key is that they never really get into the the how he can do this now that makes this movie or this series of movies different from from others that tend to over explain. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that's a really good point. Um, like I was, I was watching and I was trying to figure out why I give this movie a pass, you know, because they're like they're really getting into who Fred Krueger was. And I'm like, I don't hate this. I'm like, oh, it's because they're not they're not explaining the the magical element of who he is uh i think that would be the big mistake yeah and i feel like they they do a good job sort of 
movie by movie, not entirely, but almost, they just kind of keep adding little bits to that till they get sort of written into a corner and have to go like, well, this is why he's a dream creature, <laughs> you know, but that's not for a while. And then they do a kind of interesting thing with New Nightmare where they really go off on another direction that, that's pretty cool too. But yeah, I mean, there's just, a, it's, it's a testament to Freddy himself, I think, where he works so well because of how well designed he is. You get the razor glove, you know he's been burning a fire, so he's got that skin. That's all. He looks like Deadpool. You know, I don't care when he bought his fedora, and, and you know, big deal. That's his sweater. Like, I don't need to see, you know, how Wolverine got his leather jacket. So <laughs> it's enough. Enough is enough, right? Is there a scene like that in any of the series? Yeah, like there and- is in X-Men Origins Wolverine. He gets oh, his no, that, ja- yeah. Yeah, jacket from an old farmer or some shit uh, I, I thought you meant there's like you know freddy at the fedora store like, oh no <laughs> no i don't think they ever really explain why he's in the hat or the sweater i mean i like the real life story behind some of those choices i think i read somewhere like red uh west craven had heard that uh red and green were two of the most like like harsh color combinations to the eyes that there are you know like so Oh, he, right. he designed the sweater to look that way just because he knew it would be visually unappealing. Yeah, but like I love it. The movie doesn't have scenes like that where he comes up with his glove. And the closest we get to that is the beginning of this movie. I mean, I would wager he wears a hat because it hides his face in shadow more, right? Like that is just, right? It's just a cinematic element. It's just another visual thing. It, there's no origin to it it's just a design choice and you right know. and, and I, I'll, I'll tell you what it's a smart design choice because i was watching this and i thought i mean i've seen all these movies and freddie never looks better than he does when he's really cloaked in shadow i mean we get some some really good looks at that makeup down the line but this movie does a really fantastic job of keeping a lot of that makeup hidden which makes him look scarier and more gross which is which was uh kind of ironic i think <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And, and just for the record, though, so you guys are not in favor of like a solo-esque Freddy prequel where he like meets all the people's parents like well, down it's, the road. <laughs> you know, what's weird is like I feel like that's being talked about. Like there was some, something on Twitter recently, I think, you know, I don't I don't know exactly. But just like I feel like maybe Elijah Wood said something about like how cool like the Freddy story up until he became Fred or someone someone in the horror community was like throwing that around and then someone mocked up a poster and everyone got like all excited for it but like I don't need it I mean what's the difference like why I don't I don't know like it's just then he's just well, well, another what? mass child molesting murderer guy like I don't need another one of those movies per yeah, se I was gonna say there's really no way that could be a nightmare movie he wouldn't be supernatural Freddy Krueger so what's the point of doing it uh, yeah, and what are they going to do? Like, show him, you know, oh, well, Freddy was actually into black magic, and, like, he used the children <laughs> as sacrifices to the demon gods, and, you know, like, is that what they're talking about? I don't want that. No. Like, he's a sorcerer and all that. No, no. no. Now you're now you're getting into, you know, the, the sort of thing I was getting at before, you know, <laughs> sharing too much information. I don't, I don't, I don't need any of that information. No, but this is this like to me just like rides that line so perfectly. It's not like an out of nowhere thing where we don't know why this like sweatered guy is hunting these people down in their dreams, but it's not to the point where yeah, we're getting like stupid lore. Well, the weird thing is too, like is I don't feel like any of this is sort of like an allegory for 
kids repressing, you know, being molested. Like, I don't know if these are the children that Freddie was molesting growing up. So, and that's so, uh, so not to cut you off. But no, like, yeah. In this movie, they say he's a child killer. He's also a child molester. Well, that's, I mean, you know, don't they, aren't they sort of part and parcel? Like, I, I think down I the know. line, it's a little more concrete as like, yeah, he would sort of, you know, capture and molest and kill children. Like, that was his M.O. So people dress like a child molester for Halloween. My understanding is that at the time, he was changed from a child molester to a child killer because there were, like, actual, like, there was actual, like, a, like a problem with child molestation in California at the time, and Wes Craven didn't want to be seen as capitalizing on that. Okay. Uh, so so he changed it so so that he would just be a child killer, but... In the reboot with um, Jackie Earl Haley, they they go back to that original idea and they do refer to him as a child molester. Yeah, and I think a lot of people sort of were like, "Well, that's that's not the best move to to connect that to our main characters per se," because I like it not being about that. Like, I like it more just being fucking weird and fucked up for the sake of it. And like, I think he tries to throw a couple religious iconography things in, and there's certainly more of that in part three as well. But like, for the most part. Like, it's not about any of that. It's just, oh, your subconscious attacking you or something. Whatever you're worried about is coming to get you. You know, Freddy is just a stand-in for your worst fears for the most part. And I like that. Yeah, I think you're right, Mike. And I, and I agree. I think Child Killer is a better, like, a, it, it's a bigger umbrella. You know, he could be any number of things under that umbrella, including a child molester, if that is what you are personally really terrified by. So I think it was kind of smart to label him as a child killer instead. So now that we're like into the, you know, the meat of the film, if you will, what are some of your favorite moments that uh, happen in just basically this story of Nancy and Freddie? Well, I, I really like how, Na- how like proactive Nancy is as a character. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I <laughs> loved this. She doesn't seem like a damsel in distress. She's like, we're going to, fucking kill him she didn't say those words but i did no that's what i said in my mind and she figures out the connection like he can get you in your sleep but you could also get him like you could bring him into our world and then he's vulnerable and stuff and so like she's smart she's resourceful you know she's very proactive like i really enjoyed a lot of that uh, because you know even these days we don't get many of those characters in the horror film is always like like i she you know she kind of reminded me of recently is in like is it ready or not is that was that the one with um, the new one when Samara Weaving gets married and has to like hide uh, yes. from all of her in-laws and stuff like she reminds me of like that like it was really cool to see back then her take charge yeah I thought it was super cool she's depicted as like not only uh, incredibly resourceful but just like wanting to end this not necessarily just run away if that makes sense you can't really run away but I just, again, I just love that. And you have, like, like Glenn, her boyfriend, who, you know, one of her first plans is to have him watch her go to sleep. And then when she's in the dream, wake her up, and hopefully Freddy will be out. And then she's like, oh, hit him with a bat or something like that. You're a jock. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Glenn just is like, yeah, sure. And then just falls asleep, you know, which happens again later. But I, I he wasn't depicted as, like, the most intelligent person. But she really, you know, was pictured as the 
person here who's trying to be proactive about the situation. Like I said, I thought that was awesome. I, I love how even at like at the end, I, I think I made a note somewhere. She's kind of like Kevin McAllister, you know, setting traps. Oh yeah, I wrote that. Setting, I wrote that. <laughs> like like, <laughs> you know, rigging the house because she knows what the plan is. She knows what she's gonna do, and she's she's pre- preparing for him. You know, take him down. And I thought that was really badass um, at a time when when you didn't really see a lot of that. There's got to be a story that originates in where someone booby traps their house in order because someone's like coming to get them. Like I, that's I wonder how far back that goes in literature and stuff because there's no way like Home Alone or Nightmare on Elm Street was the first time. Oh sure, I mean, like, we could go back or to Spectre, but like <laughs> we could go back to Straw Dogs, you know. Okay, like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like, where, yeah, exactly. Like I wonder where that originated in in history, but it's interesting too because you know Johnny Deep, sorry. Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp is he's the himbo. Like he he's the hot girlfriend in this movie, right? Like <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right, yeah. Like no joke. And and Dan with what you said about his casting, it's great too. <laughs> yeah, I I had I hadn't thought about him as as that type that archetype in this movie. Uh, but now I don't think I'll be able to unsee that. You're because you're that's that's a perfectly astute observation. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I guess like kind of the part of the movie where the mom starts to kind of show her cards like she doesn't admit it at this point but she's like oh take my daughter to a sleep clinic or whatever or you know i loved that because again i'm always thinking like what would i do as the parent what would i do as the daughter and i didn't know the like the mother's background at the time so i'm like okay let's see what they'll do here and i think that's when she brings the hat back but that's a cool sequence too when she's like you know in the clinic or whatever yeah, did you by any chance recognize the curly-haired doctor at the clinic? Does anybody know who that actor? I believe his name is Charles Fleischer or Charles Fletcher. He's a comedian and he went on to be the voice of Roger Rabbit. Oh, no way. wow. Yeah, so talk about like hidden gems in horror movies. <laughs> Charles Fleischer. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. That's wild. I, I know he, like, there was something familiar about him. Um, yeah, he's a very famous voice actor now that you mention him. I know he's in a bunch I think, of like, as a comedian, I think he did a lot of stuff or does a lot of stuff now. Recently, he was in some Apatow projects, Judd Apatow movies. He popped up, but he was, like, friends with, like, Gary Shandling and that kind of, like, crew and everything. So, yeah, he goes pretty far back. Wow, gotcha. That's awesome. Good, good factoid right there. <laughs> but yeah, that whole sleep institute stuff is like fascinating because it gets into the science, you know, it just goes like, first of all, her mom is like trying to disprove her, but then ends up sort of like proving her. I thought that was kind of just like funny as like a story beat. Um, and then her mom just like, it's like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm just going to like turn my house into a prison. Like, you know, like if I can't control her and she's like going to, you know, insist on what she's talking about and everything like there's nowhere nothing else she can really do about it i'm glad you bring that up mike because like that also to me like one of not the problems i have with horror films but one of the things i always notice is like okay you know why don't you just kind of run away or why don't you kind of just call someone or whatever but like west craven seems to solve a lot of these things but like the phones being unhooked or again bars on the windows you know it's uh it's pretty awesome and it's a great setup for what we get you know, towards the end later. So I guess we'll talk about like how this movie kind of starts to wrap up with uh, Glenn dies, right? Oh, oh, even Rod in prison and stuff, like how we're all moving along through this. Like I'm just like along for the ride at this point and I'm enjoying every moment of it. 
Rod's a great MacGuffin because he is the murderer in every other horror movie, right? Like, are these t- right. like he just looks like you know they're stereotyping hard in this, and, and I think that was really smart. And to say like, oh, look at him! Of course, like he's bad news and all this stuff, and he isn't really. You know, he's just a teenager like the rest of them. He just likes to wear a leather jacket, I guess. But uh, it's a really interesting how they went that route, though, and it was like. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying about Freddy. Like, that was him, right? He's like, no one's going to believe her now because, like, there's a suspect. And it's like, oh, no, she's going to get wise? Like, all right, now I'll kill it. And, you know, now we're back to square one. Like, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that was so awesome. So if we're, we're going to talk about Glenn. Uh, like I said before, I think Glenn's death is, is maybe my, my favorite kill scene in the whole movie. Uh, I think Amanda Wiss's movie, Tina's death, is certainly the most horrific. Uh, I think that that lingers on the violence in a way that that is really uncomfortable but glenn's is like it's so over the top it, it's almost funny but i i just love it so much it's amazing like it is so stunning and i think it's more in line with like it's more thematic i think than being thrown around a room it's like you're sucked into your bed you know what I'm right. saying? Like he'll do that right. in I think every movie is he'll suck someone down through their bed or something or the bed will fly away and hell is underneath it or something. I, th- I think it was smart to open with Tina's death because that, um, y- you know, even though it's not realistic in that, you know, she's, you know, on the ceiling of the room. and But it's very graphic and, and the violence is real. Whereas in Glenn's death, if they had opened the movie with that, with something like that, like, I don't know that I could have taken the movie very seriously. But by <laughs> this point. The movie has kind of earned the right mm-hmm. to, to, to go balls to the wall like that and just have like a geyser of blood shoot out of the bed. If I'm Wes Craven, like that's my money shot. That is oh, the movie, yeah. that is the shot that like is going to pay off everything else that's come before it. Well, I'm sure it's like that's when they paint the walls red, right? And like that's the right. saying, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> And and you're you're so right, Dan. Like you have to build to a moment like this because even story-wise, it's working better now that the real world and the dream world are sort of not merging, but like boundaries are being tested and broken and things like that. And so, like to get a death that is like super expressionistic, but yet taking place in the real world. Like his mom witnesses this. You know, like this didn't not happen. It wasn't a vision. Like cops are going right. to show up and there's blood dripping from, you know, the second story floor into the living room and shit. Like it happened. It's crazy. Right. And and and, and this is a scene that I think works even better now. Brian, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like people know who Johnny Depp is now and may may not know that this was his first movie. And then when he gets maybe the best death scene in the whole movie, like this is got to be a shocking and i don't know what b is but um, (laughs) i thought i I thought i had a second point but yeah i think that you know because he blew up and became a big star that that scene has to have aged really well brian what like what did you think for sure for sure because like i said when i realized he was in this film i was like oh i didn't really know he was in this believe it or not so he must be in a small part and the way they build him out build him out i'm like oh maybe he's gonna survive you know he's the boyfriend of the main character, but like, nope. <laughs> and it's like an oil derrick, you know, the amount of blood. <laughs> it ages so well. Uh, you know, you guys used great terms with money shot and uh, painting the walls red. They're just, wow. And it's, it's interesting because he's kind of a dummy, but he's still like a sweetheart and like, obviously like a good looking kid or whatever. And I just love just to backtrack a little bit. The idea of like falling into your bed because 
I think anyone listening can attest to if there's one place you could think of where you have like a form of sanctity in your life, isn't it your bed, right? There's nothing better than hitting the hay after like a really tough day, right? And just the idea that this could happen to you in probably the safest place imaginable. Oh my God, like just perfect. And the the fact that it's Johnny Depp just puts the cherry on top of it all. No pun intended. And I really love his like belly shirt too. Like I, I watch movies <laughs> yes, like this. Right. I'm telling you, man, like sex appeal. That's the sex. <laughs> I love I love watching like or, or or pointing out like '80s fashion that just didn't age well. And the belly shirt's definitely one of those things I've seen in multiple things. And I just love Johnny Depp here in this like too short football jersey. I mean, his so hair. I just, just want to point that out. <laughs> his yeah, hair no, no, no. is like the most feathered I think I'd seen a man's hair in a long time. <laughs> Billy Zapka might have a you know, have a run at that, but right. uh, <laughs> but yeah. And, on this podcast, we talk, not talk a lot, but we see a lot of midriff in the previous fashion, <laughs> but rarely on a guy. So, you know, it was it was an interesting twist. All oh, right. Man. So, oh, you know what I wanted to bring up? I also actually meant to bring this up when we started talking about the cast. How old are these kids? Because they feel like kids. I love it. Like Heather they, Langenkamp yes. looks like no joke. Like I think I might connect with her in this movie a bit because she reminds me of my sister like it's weird like she's just so sort of like all american or like you could tell she gets good grades like you know she's not doing hard drugs or anything like this it was just it's so interesting everybody looks appropriate even if they're not i mean we'll get to your awards later and everything but i've got i had to mention that yeah i thought they were like a great set here and like even you know we'll talk about it a little bit later as you alluded to but Oh, I 100% agree, especially with her. She's such a great look for, for this role. Um, and then we do right here build to her, I guess, big ending here. I guess what the cops are investigating uh, Glenn's death, and she's kind of shuttered in her own home. And yeah, I mean, what'd you think of the way this kind of, this somewhat final sequence here with Freddie? Well, I think it's really cool. It was really smart to bring him into our world. Uh, for the climax, right? Like that—that's an interesting, cool twist. I'm glad that worked for for the character. Um, that it was kind of a long shot, but I guess it, you know it paid off. And I really like how they kept up the motif of fire, like not just at the end, but sort of throughout the whole movie, and then even throughout the entire series. Like the uh, the concept that Freddy was, you know, burned to death as a human, and it's going to do it again for the most. Well, I mean, not conclusively necessarily but like that's one of his big weaknesses right he's like martian manhunter like he just can't i mean none of us can get set on fire but like um <laughs> like like he can stay on fire as freddy and suffer right so like that was pretty interesting there's a lot of amazing fire person work to give it up to the freddy stunt guy on fire i mean i just think that's one of the most hypnotic images ever is just someone on fire in a movie i know that sounds kind of sick and demented or whatever but like just the moving image of a guy running on fire is super hypnotic and uh i couldn't believe this guy is on too much fire uh so (laughs) that was incredible (laughs) and yeah i mean we're getting a lot of scenes with this uh with like a boiler room yep yeah or, or whatever furnace i think is the better term for it so yeah the the illusion of fire throughout this is great and again we already talked about it but just her battle with Freddy, it just, it's not one of these, and I'm not criticizing these, but it's not one of these 
run away, stumble on something. I happen to find this shard of glass kind of battle. Let me do this kind of battle. It's like there's a method to a lot of this, and it's like a delicate dance. But maybe she didn't plan everything, obviously. But the way it's going, and she, you know, she's calling for her dad originally, but she kind of more or less handles this, if that makes sense. And I mean, how does it exactly refresh my memory? How does it exactly yeah. <laughs> not end, but how does it how does it end for Freddy in this sequence? Well, he, she thinks that Freddy's burning to death in the basement, right? And so she mm. runs upstairs and breaks the windows and calls for her father and for the cops to come over. And by the time they show up, Freddy's gone upstairs and he's strangling her mother to death on the bed. And they both go up in flames and then they like kind of magically dissolve into the bed in like a very weird sort of dream image. And then ultimately Freddy comes back one last time, but... Uh, Nancy's like, I'm not afraid of you, and she faces her fears, and, and he lunges at her and just sort of, like, evaporates. So I was a little confused by this, but I think it's, like, justified a bit by the ending here. But before we get to the way this film ends, was there anything else you wanted to say, Dan, regarding this, I guess, final sequence of Freddy and Nancy in the house? I, re- I really like this sequence. Um, I-, I like, you know, Nancy going to sleep with this plan in mind with no uh, indication that it'll work. Um, so I love that the, 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 the film has this like sort of final surprise as, as to, you know, how we can, you know, vanquish Freddy Krueger, right? You know, if, if you can wake up while you're hanging on to him, you can bring him into the real world, which is another terrifying idea. But yeah, so I, I love that that idea is introduced and Nancy just goes, you know, she just barrels on right into that uh, with that plan. It works. And um, yeah, I think the ensuing fight is, is, is really well choreographed. I, I, I love that fight. I love the uh, the sticky stairs. I'm not exactly oh, sure at what point that comes along, but like, I, so again, I, just such great imagery. Yeah, I wrote that down. That happens earlier. Well, it comes up again somewhere else, which, you know, uh, we can talk about another time. But the idea of, of trying to run or walk or, or you know, and, and not being able to, like your feet are stuck to the floor is such like to me, that might have been the most realistic dream element that was introduced here. And, and, and the way they conveyed it was was absolutely spot on. Because, you know, I know from from the, my own dreams that I've had, you know, that that's happened where I've been trying to run and I can't and I don't know why. Now, you know, I didn't look down at my feet to see they were stuck. But, you know, like that idea of not being able to get away from whatever you're trying to get away from, you know, it, it happens. So I love that that element was introduced here and, and brought up again later. Yeah, I, I feel like the first like one or two of these do a really good job of. Uh, sort of exploring everybody's sort of dream fears. And then later in the series, they get real character specific, um, which is a lot of fun too, but I just feel like we don't have the depth, Johnny Depth impression. No, I mean, no Johnny Depth (laughs) or anything like that, but like we just don't have the depth here and that's fine. That's okay because there's so much other shit going on. I don't need like if Nancy was a painter and so then like she got painted to death or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we get plenty of, of vivid nightmare sequences, but like I was kind of looking out for these subtle details and that, you know, just feet being stuck to the floor. Yeah. Really, really stuck out to me as, as a, as a subtle dream element or nightmare element that me as a viewer has experienced and probably other people that translates well, you know, even if we don't know Nancy's, 
you know, life, we know the feeling of not being able to get away. You know, like I love those little elements when they're sprinkled in. So, yeah, I mean, let's then talk about it because I have questions. This ending, we think everything's hunky-dory and happy and things are bright, but there is something off. All Nancy's friends are back to life and she it's kind of, you know, she goes in the car and everything's going well and the car has like a convertible top that matches Freddy Krueger's sweater and it's locked and her mom dies and it's all like this chaos and we kind of end in this weird cliffhanger ending. It's going to burn off sooner. It wouldn't be so bright. Feeling better? Oh, I feel like a million bucks. They say you've bottomed out when you can't remember the night before. No, baby, I'm going to stop drinking. I just don't feel like it anymore. Did I keep you awake last night? You look a little bit peaked. No? I guess I just slept heavy. Okay. I'll see you. See ya. Hi, everybody. Believe this fog? Oh, I believe anything is possible. First, what was your thoughts? And please explain it to me as a first-time watcher. What the hell <laughs> I just saw. <laughs> yeah, like originally when I first saw this, I don't know what to think. Probably like you, but the, this kind of just feels like um, you know they do this at the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part One to a degree. It feels like a, a scare to get you just before you leave the theater, right? Or something to have your date, you know, grab you right at the end so you can make out through the credits or something like that. Nancy will come back, so it's not as if like she's dead in this movie, you know, spoilies, but. I think it's a fun gag to end it on. I think it's in the spirit of the entire movie to be like, wait, what? There's sort of like this phantasm, which is another great one, Brian. I don't know. That might be a little... You might not be ready for Phantasm. You might be. I'm not sure. But like, it, it reminded me of Phantasm. And then it got me kind of thinking, like, was this whole movie just Nancy's dream? Is she still dreaming? There's a couple things early on that I noticed this time around. Like, when her and all of her friends pull up to school for the very first time, the girls are doing the Freddy song, the nursery rhyme, and doing jump rope with, like, a, it's real foggy. And then they just sort of pan over, and they pull up to the front of the school. So I was like, is this whole movie a dream? Can we read it that way? I don't necessarily want to read it that way. I think you could and still enjoy it. I just think they wanted to get you one more time before you left the theater and logic be damned, right? Like, how can we just scare them one more time? Okay, yes. So if that's it, then I get it. I basically agree with what what Mike said. Um, I think it could be read read a number of ways. The way I choose to watch this movie and interpret that ending is that it's just kind of like Wes trying to get us one more time. I don't think it needs to be read into really deeply. I think that uh, Wes's work, like his his best work, I should say, uh, has an element of like tongue in cheek. So, yeah, I mean, you, you could take it literally, as Mike said, there's clues that could indicate everything was a dream. But, you know, I'm, I'm watching this as a horror film fan who knows who Wes Craven is. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of have a laugh at the end. But I think, uh, I think it's fun. I, it's, it's you know, this movie is filled with trope. To a large degree, Wes tried to subvert a lot of those tropes. But I mean, this is just another version of that end of the movie stinger where we get just one more 
kind of like wink at the audience or, you know, one more scare. So I think you can read it however you want, but I don't think it has to be too complicated. That definitely makes sense. I think there's multiple endings on my Blu-ray. I've yet to watch them, but it could also have been a thing where New Line, again, were like, saw what they had and was like, all right, well, we were definitely making another one of these. Like, we got to, you know, we got to do something to say we'll be back somehow, you know, or other. So that that also kind of crossed my mind where it like could have been sort of a tweaked reshoot in a way where like it might have been more one and done, super conclusive. Uh, and then they're like, look what we have here. Like, there's no way we're not going to keep going. So it kind of opens up the doors again, you know? So was there anything we missed in our uh, discussion here on A Nightmare on Elm Street? It's not important, but it is a detail that I find uh, to be a, a lot of fun. Um, the movie that Nancy is watching in her bedroom is uh, The Evil Dead, which is my favorite horror film of all time. <laughs> I thought of you, and, Dan. I noticed that, yeah. and I thought of, I, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, I bet Dan got a kick out of that. So that that reference, the reason that the Evil Dead is on the TV Nancy's watching. So I love this whole sort of story. I wanted to explain this for people who may not know, because I, I feel like, Brian, you may not even know this. Hills Have Eyes came out. Then Sam Raimi made the Evil Dead. And if you watch the Evil Dead, when, the, when, when Ash and his friends go down into the basement and discover the Necronomicon, there is a torn poster for The Hills Have Eyes on the wall. And oh, actually, gotcha. let me go back. Let me go back a step further. I, I, knew, yep. I was going to I was going to say, I think it goes back one more step. <laughs> I ju just remembered in The Hills Have Eyes. There is a reference to Jaws as if to say we are scarier than Jaws. And then when Sam Raimi made The Evil Dead, uh, he put a, a Hills Have Eyes poster into the in the cabin basement. And then uh, as a response to that, Wes Craven put the Evil Dead into this movie. And then it goes a step further. In Evil Dead 2, there's a Freddy glove in the woodshed, right? That's right. That's wow. right. There's, there's a Freddy glove. <laughs> when, when Ash is, is creating the, the chainsaw hand, there's a Freddy glove hanging in the shed. So, like, I love that, the, that these horror filmmakers had this, like, playful back and forth you know, with their, with their movies. So I just wanted to point that out because it's awesome. one of my favorite little like, you know, details in the, in the corners of this film. I mean, that's like an original Easter egg, you know, like that's a true, yeah. like that's an Easter egg right there. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. Would never have known that in a million years. So that's pretty cool. A couple other things I wanted to mention, of course, you guys alluded to it. This film would spawn a bunch of sequels. I'm not even sure how many and a reboot. Um, you know, you've been alluding to it this entire time, but of course, Mike, we're going to be talking about the third film in the franchise That's right. on, on your show. And I can't wait to talk about that because I watch these films back to back and we're going to be recording back to back. So we're going to be primed and ready for some more Freddy Krueger in a moment. I'm not sure, uh, the recording schedule. I'm not sure if this one's going to come out before yours or after yours, but they'll come out like a day or two apart, so it doesn't matter. In yeah, terms... I mean, I didn't watch these movies in order originally, so you don't have to listen to the podcast episodes. In order. <laughs> <laughs> I just did want to ask you guys, in terms of this franchise, again, I've only seen two uh, installments of this franchise. Is this uh, considered a good franchise overall? I mean, I'm getting kind of mixed messages from you guys saying there was some good ones, but also maybe some bad ones. Uh, What's your opinion on the entire franchise in total? For me, I'd say the only one that I, I won't say don't even don't like, but the one I'm least familiar with is Five, The Dream Child. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. We'll get into it a little more, but like three, four, and five are 
kind of a trilogy. It's really, they, they kind of share characters that cross over and keep going. And that's what I mean is like, there's like a, you know, continuity kind of going on here, which, you know, helps more than hurts, I think. It's really interesting with what they do. But, you know, then you, after that, the final, I remember they were like, oh, this is the last Friday the 13th movie we're ever going to make, and it's going to be in 3D and this and that. And like, I really enjoy that one. Then there's the one we sort of briefly mentioned, A New Nightmare. I've not seen a lot of that, but that one, again, seems super interesting where it's like, you know, more of like, they're making a Friday the 13th movie and everyone starts having nightmares in the real world and the film world kind of crossover. Uh, then he fights Jason, which is an amazing movie. Freddy vs. Jason. I love that. I think that worked really well. And then there's the remake, which I've only seen once. I thought it was all right. Uh, it's got a really good cast. Again, I think that broke another star. Who's in that? Oh, um, Rooney Mara. Yeah, Rooney Mara. Yeah, Rooney Mara's in that. I think she's really good in that. Um, but I think overall, you know, for me, it's a pretty strong series. I, I like them a lot. Yeah, I think your enjoyment of the series really comes down to your enjoyment of Robert England as Freddy Krueger. I really like the franchise, but I, I, I find that as a franchise, it is not as brilliant as a whole as like the first installment is and as uh, new nightmare is those two are probably the, the the two that you know when they came out were the freshest ideas i mean west those are the two west craven directed um he produced dream warriors which is another fan favorite and it's one that i really love but like you know if, if you like freddy krueger and and you like all of the um the idea of, of each movie kind of being crammed full of big gag kills, you know, like they become very specific to the people he's killing. I mean, that that's kind of where the franchise goes. And I, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there for sure. But I think that over time, uh, maybe, I mean, this could also be because I watched, you know, all of these in a weekend once <laughs> that like, okay, by the end of that experience, I was like, all right, I get, I get it. Robert England, you know, <laughs> I get it. Freddy Krueger, you know, he becomes kind of more wacky and cartoonish as the series goes on. Uh, I mean, that's not to say that the, the sequels aren't fun or there's nothing enjoyable in them, but I feel like the first uh, and, and New Nightmare are the most brilliant of them. You know, when I look at other franchises like uh, Halloween and, and Friday the 13th, I don't know that it was a bad thing that they weren't allowed to talk, Michael and Jason. Jason Voorhees is my favorite of the three characters, you know, and he doesn't say a word. Freddy can get a little bit irritating after a couple of these movies. <laughs> so I, th I think it really comes down to how you feel about Freddy. Again, that's kind of my thing. But I, I, I do think that uh, they're all a lot of fun, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like Freddy, maybe because you're, like you're saying, Dan, like he could talk. Uh, he definitely went more into the realm of like comic books later yes. on with his films. Like his movies were able to sort of reflect the trends of the times a lot more too, as well, like concerning fashion and, you know, video games and all the kind of stuff. Like it would work a lot of modern stuff into those movies where I feel like the other, like Halloween and, and Friday the 13th, were more true slasher things where we're at a setting or a location that we can't escape from or something like that. Like, what are you going to do out in the woods while Jason's chasing you? Like, no one's playing a Nintendo out in Crystal Lake, you know, but they get there when we're talking Freddy. Um, so I don't know. I think also maybe he got a little, he because of all of that, too, he got real popular and he got really watered down right and like we were saying people dressed up like him i dressed up like him for halloween as a kid as a fourth grader like what the fuck was society thinking um <laughs> that that i think is just sort of like a byproduct of the 
character itself. You know, I think it's just like he, he experienced different highs and lows than Freddie than uh, Jason and Michael Myers because of like those differences in, in his character. Sure. I think the fact that Freddy Krueger has like a parody version of himself on Rick and Morty kind of tells you a little bit of what you need right. to know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that by virtue of the fact that he was allowed to speak gave them a lot of uh, opportunities to you know, make him wacky and goofy and kind of funny over time. And we got used to seeing him. So over, you know, he wasn't scary by the, by the fifth one. And we were expecting him to tell funny jokes or, or, or have catchy one-liners or, or, or whatever. Um, there's a fun gif that floating around on the internet of, of, of Freddie. I forget which movie it is, but it's him like putting on sunglasses, you know, I like just, Oh, I've seen um, that. Yeah. Part four. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, but by that point, you know, we're not afraid of him anymore and we're looking for the fun, creative kill scenes. Which, I mean, is true of any slasher franchise, I suppose. But, yeah, if you like Freddy, I think, by all means, watch the rest of them. But if his ability to speak is not your cup of tea, maybe don't watch the rest of these. <laughs> and we'll get into that in part three, where he really starts yeah. to jabber. Uh, <laughs> but they also, Brian, like, I think another thing that they're really interesting about is the error they're made in. It's all these practical effects and they're all incredible like they reach for the stars in each of these movies to push uh the gore and the effects and stuff so you know they're worth watching on that level as well you could always mute freddy right so that's like... true so we, we i watched the first and third to, to talk to you guys about it and and even in the third one i was like just still blown away by the practical effects you know like I, these movies are still a great case for the for practical effects yeah i thought the effects were awesome in this film so i definitely agree with that and you know i appreciate insight on the franchise because i you know honestly i'm a novice i have no idea this has been a pleasure just talking about this film um we'll talk about grades in a second just want to mention i sent you guys like a, a link before i'm not a toy collector but i'm almost like an envious toy collector if the old uh, wife ski over here would let me bring more junk into the apartment, maybe I would. Be, but it's not allowed. But <laughs> um, is she looking at you right now? It's it's. It feels like she's looking right at you. <laughs> it always feels like that, Mike. No I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, NECA, which is like probably the best toy like company out there in terms of like collector toys. They do so many Freddy Kruegers, and I'm sure there are collectors who own them all because they're super detailed from every single uh, film, and they're just kind of amazing. So if you are a toy collector, I highly suggest checking them out if you want to see like the various nuances of the Freddy character in different film form. Just wanted to throw that in there. So are we ready for our awards then? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, Wooderson Award. Um, is there a character in this film who you would have liked to have seen a little bit more of? John Saxon. Yeah. Ooh, double agreement on <laughs> I mean, that. Yeah. I don't think the movie is worse because it doesn't have more of him. But I, me as a fan of him, I definitely would have loved to see more of him. I mean, it could have been kind of cool to get like a quick flashback, right? Like we're dealing with, with all these dream sequences and stuff. Like they could have squeezed the flashback when she was talking to her mom. And then you see, you know, John Saxon like pull freddy by the you know with a gun to his head and they like see him get doused i think they do that in the remake actually maybe that's why i'm thinking of it but that i mean we could have squeezed him in there somewhere all right consensus on that pick then i mean he's cool again great look so i'm down for that um all right next maybe a kung fu fight with freddy <laughs> no, <laughs> he's a guy who fought freddy before it's a... <laughs> we were on this island as a yeah. whole thing. <laughs> 
There's a whole thing. Concubines. Yeah. I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, now this one, also, you know, an award we give every week, the Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? No, right? Uh, not me. I, I, I can't. Yeah, no, I don't have any. But this cast is so small that everybody feels essential. I think maybe the only one who could be argued as useless of the principal cast is Glenn. Yeah, but you're not really going to delete Glenn, yeah. No, but I don't want to. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking in terms of the principal cast. He's the only one who really doesn't do much except be there and look handsome. But yeah, I don't want to get rid of him. So I, I don't have a, a candidate for this particular award all good all good that's sometimes the mark of a good film okay so we discussed this next award a little bit but i have a feeling we might not come to consensus on here but if we do great cameron fry award was anyone too old to play a high schooler was anyone jarring where you're like that person's not in high school i mean not necessarily like i was saying earlier if anyone maybe rod but i just feel like that guy was tall like i just don't you know he still had like zits and a baby face and all that kind of stuff yeah i agree it's so well casted so I don't think we're going to have an answer for that. Okay, so, you know, the maybe I don't know if it's the most important award. You know, and that's, of course, when we grade our movie, and we grade here in High School Slumber Party with an A-plus to F scale, the old report card grade. Now, Rotten Tomatoes, that's kind of our rubric, if you will, just to let us know how the critics and the people felt. So the critics... 94% super high audience wow. a, little, a little bit lower than that 83% but still fresh according to both scales on Rotten Tomatoes so 94% uh, critics 83% audience but again let's do the report card whoever wants to go first what are we grading a nightmare in Elm Street uh, I'm gonna give this uh, an A plus just for I mean, there's so many great things about it, but I'm going to give it the A plus because of Wes Craven's ability to take an established subgenre and and twist it into something that still feels fresh in, in 2020. That's the real achievement. Yeah, this movie really does hold up. Like, there's really nothing to date it so much. Like, there's nothing. Like, if you had a cell phone, it wouldn't help you in this movie. You know, <laughs> like right. if you had the internet, what would you learn that Freddie exactly the same? You know, right. like there's nothing. There's no fat on it either. And that's the thing. Like, I'm watching this movie, and it's so efficient, you know, and everything's pretty well thought out that I, I can't think of anything I would cut or add, you know. So, yeah, it's a perfect score for me. Now, Brian, uh, I, I'm a terrible teacher on your show, as you know. <laughs> like, I just fucking give A-pluses, like, left and right, like they're candy. I mean, most of the time, the movie truly does deserve it. And I really feel like this movie truly does deserve an A-plus for me, but I really have to, like, stop giving every movie an A-plus after this movie. <laughs> like, even if it deserves it, I think this has to be the last one because it's, like, a lot uh, in a row. But I agree with everything, you know, Dan said, you know, right? Like, the the horror genre didn't know, or not the horror genre even, but, but like, the slasher, like, to sort of merge... Like, I don't know, when I think of slasher, I don't always necessarily equate it or didn't always equate it with horror because, like, a real guy is a slasher. Like, it, you know, like, it's not like a mutant freak all the time and stuff. But, like, after Freddy, I always thought different that, like, slasher and sort of weird horror visuals, they can go together or they don't have to go together, you know? But when they're, like, this is like peanut butter and jelly. It's almost like he was yep. like, I'm going to take all the fears about those real world guys like Ed Gein and I'm going to, you know, show you that, you know, they'll get you in your dreams. Like, you can't, you know, 
even if you just remember a name, like it'll come back to haunt you or something. So like, I really appreciate, you know, his point of view with this movie, uh, that he had like the perspective and the ingenuity to, to put it all together. And it really is like pretty exceptional. I got to admit, like coming back to it after a while. Awesome. Great. And so I'm going to give it an A. I would normally give it an A plus, but I'm still a little confused by the ending. So slight, slight knockdown here, but if you're going to get angry at me for giving this movie an A, then screw you, whatever. We're, <laughs> we're giving it good Ryan, grades Ryan, you here. bastard. <laughs> Did you want like an ending we're going to get eventually, I think far too often, which is like we're at a graveyard looking over a fresh grave and like, <laughs> credits roll? Like we didn't need that this the first time out, right? We didn't want it, uh, Nancy's mom's funeral to be the closing credits. Like this is way more fun. I'm clearly not that critical. I'm still giving it an A. But... <laughs> no, I know. I'm over. I'm just overly excited. That's all. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Why'd you give this a 96, bro? It should have been a 98. I just clearly explain explain to you why it deserved that plus. <laughs> Good scores from us all around. Okay, like I say almost every week now, this is becoming my favorite question. If we're in our, you know, magical magical blockbuster that defines space and time and we get to the front of the register and even though it shouldn't be a surprise every week oh my god we're surprised we're we intended to rent a nightmare on elm street we're gonna still rent it but we see there's a sign and it says rent two movies get one free and the three <laughs> of us look at each other and we're like all right we can't go to sleep anyway we don't want freddie to haunt us in our dreams we gotta no stay up all night and watch some movies and i say Dan, you go to one side of this blockbuster. Mike, you go to another side of this blockbuster. Each find one movie, bring them back to the counter, and that's what we're doing at the slumber party. So what movies are you guys picking for our little sleepover here? Oh, God. I've started to come prepared for this, but I, I want Dan to go first because I, just in case we pick the same movie, I got two. <laughs> because it's it's so plausible, Dan, and I might, you know what I'm saying? Like We might pick the same movie. You never know. That's, that's true. I'm a big fan of, of a theme. And I, I have never really considered, you know, like what could pair well with a Wes Craven film, except more Wes Craven films. So I'm just going to pick two more. And um, let's say we'll do the the uh, original Hills Have Eyes and um, uh, uh, Shocker from 1989. Nice. So because you picked two... Let's just divide the list today. Let's say... Or, yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure if I should pick two or one, but you, you can do whatever no, you want. No, but Mike, you picks. said you had two, so I kind of want to hear what both of them are. I also had two. Yeah, okay, interesting. And neither were those. Uh... Okay, so good. So we're going to divide the list up today. We're going to just... You know, because we got to stay up all night, right? So... Okay, okay. If, if we have five movies, let's just do it. Okay, so... I'm paying extra if we have to. I don't care. <laughs> 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 so, so, Dan, you said... Uh, Shocker and the Hills of Eyes. That's correct. A little before, a little little after Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, so I'm also kind of on brand with the whole theme, uh, but not like the director. I'm going more like with dreams and stuff this time around. So um, I remember this movie being pretty crazy. I've been wanting to revisit it. So I'm going to say Dreamscape from 1984 with Dennis Quaid, Max Van Sydow, Kate Capshaw, and David Patrick Kelly. It's pretty nuts. It's about this psychic 
who is part of this organization that are entering people's dreams to try and like control them and calm them down but it turns out that they're sending assassins into politicians nightmares to kill them and it's fucking awesome as far as i could remember uh it's played super straight it's real sci-fi techie kind of stuff and it's got a lot of like passable effects i don't know i don't want to like rag on it too hard because they're trying to do something with the dream sequences but like it's definitely uh worth a watch so that's my first movie have you guys ever heard of that movie Anyone? I have not. Yes. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Okay. Now, my second movie I might have recommended before on the show. In fact, I know that I've talked about this movie before. It's one of my favorite dream movies ever. And maybe I'll just sing a couple bars real quick. But uh, stars shining bright above you. Night breezes seem to whisper, I love you. Birds singing in the sycamore tree. Dream a Little Dream of Me is one of the best movies ever, and it's the two Corys, and it's about how he collides with his neighbor, and they switch minds, and one's stuck in a dream realm, and it's insane, and it's one of the scariest high school movies I've ever seen that is supposed to be like a dramedy. I'm not sure. I'm dying to talk about it on this show one day, so it's going to be a hell of a sleepover, guys. Wow. Wow. We're going in a lot of interesting, but related directions. I love it. Uh, I'm not going to even ask because it's five movies, but the order we're going to watch these films does fascinate me. (laughs) 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 I I hope Dream a Little Dream is smack dab in the middle of them all. (laughs) It's got to be. (laughs) That's great. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about that one, too. But great recommendations, guys. Now, this is the uh, portion of the show where normally I say maybe we're going to crawl into our sleeping bags and and go to bed, but again, we can't do that. We gotta stay awake. We gotta stay awake for a couple reasons. Uh, one, we don't want to be haunted, but two, we got another episode coming up on your <laughs> show, Mike. I know. Who brought the uh, no the no dos? <laughs> <laughs> so is that showing my age? The no dos. Who's got those? Who's got the lewds for when we're done and we need to relax? This is a drug free show, Mike. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, drug free school uh, zone. Drug free yes, school exactly, zone. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're, we're dare participant on high school slumber party. But, uh, so Mike, why don't you, uh, let people know where they can follow you, find you, and especially, uh, you know, the episode that corresponds with this one. And then Dan, why don't you, after that, tell people where they can follow you as well. All right. So currently you can find me at the very tail end of Hanks for the Memories with Joey over on, uh, the Tom Tom Club. Um, wait, wait, that's still going on? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when does this episode come out? October? Yeah, it's still going. We've still got episodes. We've got like four episodes after the movies. Like, we've got shit to do. Like, there's important stuff to wrap up. Um, so you can still check out that. But like all those back episodes, you know, cageclub.me, uh, The Cage. I just heard, um, you know, at the time of this recording, Crudes 2, look, looking to be the next Cage movie, looking to be released uh, in November, I believe, around Thanksgiving. So, looking forward to that. Uh, third time's a charm. Catch it while you can't. Well, again, all the it's not gonna be like taken down from the internet once I'm finished with the show. But like, I'm wrapping up that show pretty much. Uh, catch the tail end of that Ooh. series. Catch Dan and they're Brian not, on lots rumors? of episodes. I mean, you know, <laughs> rumors, hearsay, all you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It might be going away. It might not be. It probably is. I'm just trying to 
thread a narrative about it. I, you know, <laughs> um, so third time's a charm right now. Check it out. And we will be talking about Dream Warriors. We will all be reassembling to go over the third in the franchise of Freddy films. So catch us there. That's that's going to be my October episode for sure. So uh, that's probably out right now. October 3rd. That'll be out. And communications. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter at Dan Cologne and uh, on Letterboxd at Dan Cologne for those of you who uh, are interested in seeing what I'm watching and what I'm thinking about that stuff. Yeah, I think that's it for now. Uh, Mike uh, may have hinted at a project he and I are, are going to collaborate on, so that's down the pike. Um, but keep an eye out on the Cage Club podcast for that. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the website for that. And um, I think that's it for now. Right. Well, we have uh, we have to enter some more dreams collectively pretty soon. So <laughs> appreciate you guys joining me on for this classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'll uh, see you or, you know, hear from you on Third Time's a Charm. In your dreams, Brian. <laughs> Always a blast having Dan and Mike on. Happy to have them on together. And wow, what a great movie. And I'll mention it again, but check out Dream Warriors, or at least our episode on Dream Warriors as well, on Third Time's a Charm, wherever you're listening to this podcast, cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Find it there, listen, let me know what you think on social media, because honestly, yes, I love A Nightmare on Elm Street, but the third one, Dream Warriors, really, really, really good as well. Highly recommend. And another film that I'm going to highly recommend is this Friday's film. Another kind of sci-fi, horror-y film, you know, weird. This month is not just about the gore and the guts. It's about the horror. It's about the sci-fi, I think. It's about just a lot of different genres that are paranormal, if you will. The film we're going to talk about is The Faculty, and my guest is a first-time guest. I've been dying to have him on. We actually recorded this in the summer, and I liked the episode so much that I'm like, I'm going to save it for our Halloween month. His name is Dan Hayden. He's called The Duke or Duke by a lot of people. You'll find out why on Friday. And a film, once again, is The Faculty. No more pencils, no more books. No more teachers, dirty looks. The students at Harrington High have always suspected their teachers were from another planet. Is this going to be on the test? This is the test. This time, they're right. Now, these six students won't just question authority. They'll have to destroy it. Critics are calling it hip and scary. A thrilling ride from beginning to end. The faculty. Please report to the principal's office. Can't wait for you to hear our episode on The Faculty with Dan Hayden, Duke. That's going to be awesome, trust me. Listen this Friday, wherever you're listening right now. Watch the movie, of course. That is your homework. Listening is your homework, too. I give you a bunch of homework. Get John Cusack to not block us. Apparently he's on Mark Marin today. I want to check that out. You know what? This Friday we're going to have a fun high school movie news segment. I'll mention what I think of the Mark Marin john Cusack interview. I want to talk about some new films coming out, like how about Vampires vs. the Bronx? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, my God. 
as a New Yorker. I'm excited for that one. And what's going on with the Spider-Verse? Spider-Man 3? Interesting rumors when it comes to that. Can't wait to discuss that this Friday on High School Movie News. And I want you to remember one more thing. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. And I guess there is another thing I want to remind you of. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Let's leave you with my guys, the Fresh Prince, Jazzy Jeff, Nightmare on My Street. Later, dudes. Doctor, what on earth do you think happened to that poor boy? Nurse, in all my years of medical practice, I've never seen anything quite so horrid. Doctor, whatever the Jeff, man. Your friend is very... Now I have a story that I'd like to tell about this guy you all know me and we scared as hell. He comes to me at night after I call into bed. He's burnt up like a weenie and his name is Fred. He wears the same hat and sweater every single day. And even if it's hot outside, he wears it anyway. He's on when I'm awake, but he shows up when I'm asleep. I can't believe that there's a nightmare on my street. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.